We're going to be uh, in Luke, uh, and we're going to read that passage in a moment. So please take out your Bible uh, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 5, or click over there on your phone if you want to do that. Uh, if you're in the uh, room with us and you're going to use a Bible under your chair rack, it's going to be about page 861 that you're turning to for Luke chapter 5, and there should be a Bible right under you in your chair rack. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, you don't own a Bible, then please uh, take that Bible under your chair rack home with you. Consider that our gift to you today, and uh, let that be yours. We want to make sure everybody has a copy of God's Word of their own, so you can have that uh, for you. As you're turning there, I think I see Drew and Sarah Carlton. Is that you guys over there? Good morning. I think this is the first morning we have Margot with us, uh, so welcome. Uh, their new little baby. Um, Good to see you guys and to celebrate that gift and uh, the new life that the Lord has brought into your family. Luke chapter 5. All right, do you have enough time to turn there? We're going to run right into it. Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 12 and I'm going to read through verse 26. We're going to read two different stories of uh, ministry in the life of Jesus today. And then we're going to talk about those together. Starts out Luke 5.12 with while he, so that he is Jesus, because we're jumping into the middle of a story here, so I just want to fill that in for you. So it says this, while he was in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And we talked about that a little while back, that Jesus often would do this, withdraw and pray. And we're not really focusing on that this morning, but if that's the word you need to hear, know that even Jesus, he took times to withdraw and pray, right? We need that. Let's look at the second story here. On one of those days, he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise 
and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, and we pause there, Son of Man is a, is a term that Jesus often used to refer to himself. It comes back from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. It's a title that the book of Daniel says will be given to the Messiah when he comes. So Jesus is referring to himself when he says the Son of Man. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. They had seen extraordinary things for sure, right? This lame man walks, the leper's healed. I want to talk to you this morning about this passage, these two stories. I'm going to answer three questions for you this morning. I want us to look at it. As we look at this passage, three questions are answered. First, what does it say about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus in this passage? The second question we're going to answer in a moment is what does it say about us? And the third question is what are we to do? What does the passage say about Jesus? We're in the gospel of Luke. The gospel is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that story. So every story, every account we have in the life of Jesus is teaching us something about who Jesus is. Every, everything is about teaching us. This is who Jesus is. So what do we learn about who Jesus is from these two stories? Well, obviously, the most striking thing we see is two people are amazingly healed, right? A leper is healed, and a lame man who hasn't walked can now walk. I mean, those things are amazing. But honestly, if you've been with us as we've been walking through Luke, we already know that Jesus can heal. We already know. We've already seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. We've already seen him heal many other sicknesses. We already know Jesus can heal diseases. Now, two specific ones are called out here, leprosy and the lameness or the crippledness of the man. But I don't think Luke's intent is to give us an exhaustive list of every single disease that Jesus can heal. So there's something else going on here. What do these two healings uniquely tell us about Jesus? In the first one, I think what you learn is one that Jesus can make the man clean. Did you notice that what the man asked for? He didn't say, heal me. Look at the words in the scriptures there. What does the man say? The man says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, you might read that and you say, well, that's a strange word. Why doesn't he just ask to be healed? And he is, in a sense, asking to be healed, but he's also pointing out the negative effects of his disease. He's also pointing out the consequences of living as a leper. Because when you live as a leper in the culture that they were living in, you were considered unclean. And that meant two things. One, you were separated from the temple worship of God. No one who is unclean could go into the temple and worship God. Now, you might say that sounds unfair. 
And I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on the temple system right now, but let me give you, let me just give you a broad 30,000 square foot view. Okay, 30,000 square foot, 30,000 foot view, right? That's a big house, 30,000 square feet. Let me, give you a, let me give you a high view of that, right? And that's this. When, G, when God put the temple system in place, he said there were a few things that would make people unclean. And if you're unclean, you need to stay out of the temple because God is pure and holy and you need to remember that. You need to remember that. One of the ways you remember that God is completely pure and holy is that when you are fall into any of this category of unclean, you need to stay out of the temple because God is pure and holy and, and you need to be pure and holy when you come into his presence. There were only a few things that made people unclean, coming into contact with certain bodily fluids, um, coming into contact with anything dead, uh, any dead body or anything like that, uh, and having uh, leprosy as a skin disease. All of these things were associated with some form of death. And so the idea was God is life, and if you have been in contact in some way with death, you have to go through a process of cleansing yourself before you can come into God's presence. And it's a reminder of the purity of God. And so this man comes to Jesus and says, make me clean. I want to be in right relationship with God. I want to go into the temple. I also want to be in right relationship with all the people around me because if you were a leper, you were also physically and socially distanced from everyone else around you. You couldn't, you couldn't touch, you couldn't, because you would make them unclean. And so you couldn't touch anyone around you. So we've, we've learned a little of the negative consequences of physical distancing and social distancing, haven't we? Imagine living your whole life that way. That's what he had to live. So he doesn't just say, heal me. He says, Jesus, make me clean. I want to be right with God. I want to be right with the people around me. I no longer want to be distanced from God. And people make me clean. And Jesus does, says, I, I, I am willing, I'll do it. And he makes him clean, but he doesn't just make him clean. I want you to see something in this passage. It says in verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand. And what does it say there? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Touched him. This man probably hadn't been touched in years by another person. You, you know what it feels like a little bit with social distancing? You're not having contact. You're not hugging people. You're not, you know what that feels? This man hadn't been touched in years. Jesus touched him. And when he touched him, the man did not make Jesus unclean. Jesus made the man clean. And so we see a new thing happening here. We see something happening where Jesus can touch someone and he is not contaminated by them. Instead, his wholeness, his righteousness, his goodness is transferred to the man that he touches. And so he makes him clean. And so there's something new happening that we see about Jesus here. We learn about Jesus. There's a second thing. What do we learn about Jesus? In the second healing, what do we learn about Jesus? We learn that Jesus is able to forgive sins and he knows and considers himself to be God. Because it says that right there. The, the, the theology of these religious leaders is right. They say only God can forgive sins. They're absolutely right. And they say anyone who says they can forgive sins and is not God is blaspheming. And they're 100% right in their theology. And they're 100% wrong in their identity of Jesus. 
because Jesus is God. And, he, and he's saying in this passage, if anyone ever asks you, did Jesus know he was God? Did Jesus ever say he was God? There's a lot of passages you can point to, but you can point right to this passage. Because in this passage, Jesus forgives someone's sin and only God can forgive sins. And he forgives those sins of this man. And so an important truth about Jesus that Luke is bringing out here is Jesus is able to forgive sins. And he is and he knows that he is God. These are what we would call the Christological lessons. These are the lessons about Christ. These are the truths about Christ that we learn from this passage. Jesus is able to forgive sins. He's able to make someone clean who was unclean. Now, what does it tell us about us? What does this passage tell us about us? If that's what it tells us about Jesus, what does this passage tell us about us? Here's what I think this passage tells us about us. Our presenting problem is not our primary problem. I think what this passage tells us about us for the leper he didn't simply say, make me clean. For the man on the mat, the presenting problem was his lameness, but that was not his primary problem. We know what this is like. Think about it this way. Stop me if you've heard this before. Do you have fever, chills, muscle aches, body aches, loss of taste or smell, sore throat or nausea? How many of us have heard those questions more times than we care to think about this past year, right? We've all heard those questions. When someone asks these questions, whether it's at a doctor's office or at a school or wherever you are, when someone asks these questions, they're not really interested in whether you have lost your sense of taste or smell. What they're really interested in is do you have COVID-19? Because that's the primary issue. Everything else is just a presenting issue. See, the truth about this passage is our presenting issue is not always our primary issue. Our presenting problem is not always our primary problem. In many areas of life, this is true. We know this is true. A couple months ago, my car was making this whirring sound. Like it sounded like I was driving the Jetsons car. You remember the Jetsons car? It was like, and I was driving. But that was, the sound was just the presenting problem. I could turn the radio up and not hear the sound anymore. I took it to the mechanic, and he said, well, your primary problem is your drive shaft, which is an expensive primary problem, if you're wondering, which had to be fixed. It's different. Your, your presenting problem may be a smelly room that your kids have, but the primary problem is they need to learn how to do laundry. Your presenting problem might be fixed with some paint and some drywall patch, but if you don't fix the leak in the roof, you're still going to have to fix that problem again. It's true in relationships on a more serious note, right? It could be in a relationship with, with a friend or your spouse or a kid, and maybe you have the same argument over and over and over again. You would be wise at some point to probably realize that what you're arguing about is not really what you're arguing about, that you're probably arguing about a presenting problem, but there's a primary problem that's under the surface that needs to be dealt with. This passage teaches us that our presenting problem is not always our primary problem. Anyone looking at the man with leprosy would quickly diagnose, us, diagnose him. You know what your problem is? Your problem is you have leprosy. 
Anyone looking at the man on the mat would quickly diagnose his problem. You know what your problem is? Your problem is you're lame and you can't walk. But the man with leprosy knew. He said, you know what my problem is? I am separated from God. And I am separated in community from other people. Jesus looked at that man on that mat, and he knew he couldn't walk. He knew he was lame. He saw that presenting problem. But you know what Jesus said? You know what your problem is? You need your sins forgiven. Your primary problem, the greatest thing I could do for you, is to restore your relationship with God. Jesus and Luke in this passage are not making a causal relationship between disease, lameness, and a person's individual sin. In fact, Jesus later in ministry will make clear that drawing such a conclusion is often misguided. But he's making clear that sin causes a separation between us and God. And this is what the temple system reminded people of, that sin caused a separation between them and God, and this is what Jesus reminds them of when he forgives this lame man's sin before he heals him ready to walk. What happens when we mistake a presenting issue for the primary issue is we end up covering the real issue for a little while. We treat the symptom and not the disease. It eventually surfaces in another form. Ever wonder why In this and many other passages, Jesus tells the healed person not to tell anyone. Did you notice that in this passage? Right after he heals the leper, it says he immediately, and immediately the leprosy left him. In verse 14, it says, and he charged him not to tell anyone. Ever wonder why Jesus does that? Why does he charge you? He just did an amazing work. Wouldn't you want everybody to know? I mean, what if you did something incredible at work? Like, and you said, don't tell anyone, right? You want everyone to know. Look what I did, right? You might say, don't tell anyone, but what you're thinking is, please go tell everyone, right? <laughs> but Jesus often says, don't tell anyone. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because he wants to be careful that the whole message is received, that he didn't come just for presenting problems of healing diseases. He's not just a medicine man. He's not just there to to make people walk. He wants the whole message, because you're going to miss the whole message, is I'm here to be the Savior from your sins. And if they just think he's there to heal, they're going to miss the main part of his message of why he's there. And so he often tells people, don't tell anyone. Because if you tell someone, I'm not going to be able to continue to go and preach the gospel because everyone's going to block my way. And it happens in other gospels. He, it says he can't go into some cities. There's some places he can't get into. Your presenting issue might be the need for physical healing or a healing from past pain you experienced. Your presenting issue might be a need for financial provision or for a job. Your presenting issue might be the desire to be married or have a baby. Your presenting issue might be strife in your home. These are real problems. And don't hear what I'm not saying. These are real problems that cause real pain, and Jesus cares about them. 
Leprosy and being lame were real problems Jesus cared about. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus didn't care about those things because he healed the leper and he healed the lame man. But healing the man to walk would have still left him separated from God. He really needed forgiveness of his sins and to be made right with God in his life. Jesus came to heal the primary problem. See, the presenting issue with COVID might be, uh, might be loss of taste and smell, and the primary problem might, we might think is COVID-19, but actually the primary problem is we're living in a broken world that is sinful, that allows plagues and diseases to even happen in this place. Jesus came to deal with the primary problem that we have brought into this world, our sin, and things became broken. And he's in the process of making all things new. Brings us to our third question. What are we to do? What are we to do? The first question, what does it tell us about Jesus? He can make someone clean. He can forgive sins. He's God. The second question, what does it tell us about us? Our presenting issue is not always the primary issue. The third problem is what do we do? Two things. Number one, if you're here today and you understand this truth about yourself and you see now that you've been focusing on presenting issues but have never dealt with the primary problem, then what you're to do today is bring yourself to Jesus. Come like the leper. Say, Jesus, make me clean. We're going to, in a few moments, we're going to have a time of communion. And in that time, I'm going to give you that opportunity to just say, Jesus, make me clean. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, wash my heart. Uh, wash the sin away from my heart. Jesus, make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And if you're here today and you've never done that and you say, you've often come and you're like, I want this issue fixed. I want this issue fixed. I'm coming because I want to, this issue fixed in my life. And maybe Jesus is saying, okay, okay, but first I want to deal with your real problem in your life. And that's your separation from God. I want to deal with that sin in your life. And I want not only to forgive you, I want to give you the strength to walk away from it in your life. We so often... In, focus on the presenting problems and we miss the message God is trying to bring to us. There's always going to be a presenting problem. This side of heaven. Jesus came to deal with that primary one. Second thing, if you're here today and you've received forgiveness, but you know someone who doesn't know that this is their real problem, then you are to bring the one you care about to Jesus. Second thing, you, those friends on the mats. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. I'm going to tell one final story, and then we're going to come and have communion together. If you already have received this forgiveness of sin, you know what you're to do today then? Take up the mat. Take up someone's mat and help start bringing them to Jesus. Think about these men. Think about these friends. I wish I, I, I think I do. I hope you have friends like this that will tear through a roof to get you in front of Jesus, and will you do that for someone else? It's interesting at the beginning of this passage to notice the reason they couldn't get to Jesus 
Did you notice the reason they couldn't get to Jesus? On those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee. In other words, all the religious people were keeping this lame man from getting to Jesus. And the, his friends said, no, we're gonna, we'll bring him through the roof. We're going to get him to Jesus. So your responsibility is to get people to Jesus. You say, how do, how do you do that? Well, I, gotta, I guess i got to bring them to church. Well, that's a step. It's not the first step. It's sometimes far from the first step. you got to bring Jesus to them first. got to share with them. What's that look like? Let me, let me tell you. Let me give you a, a story of what that looks like for one man who's a part of Mount Hope, a friend of mine who's an elder in this church, Jay Titus. Jay shared with me a story this last week, and it really fits. I think it's a great picture of what it looks like to bring your friends to Jesus, to carry their mat, or to bring Jesus to your friends. I'm going to give you some of the highlights of what Jay wrote in his words. Jay said in 2002, he was a year out of his undergraduate program, and he got his first job. He was hired as an admissions counselor at Mount Ida College. And when he was hired, there was a guy that had been there for 25 years. His name was Dr. Phil Conroy, and he was a dean, and he was the big boss, and Jay had to go in and meet with him before he got the job. And he said they hit it off immediately, which was funny because they're so different. Jay said, uh, I was a 24-year-old, first-generation, American-born son of missionaries from India. He was a 52-year-old Irishman living on the south shore of Massachusetts with a wife and three grown children who were my age, but somehow we connected. He said, over the next couple years, in addition to being my boss, he became a personal mentor to me. He found out eventually through some conversations as the friendship grew, Phil shared with him that he had grown up in the Catholic Church, but at one point, at one point he even considered becoming a priest but he had turned away completely when the church abuse scandal came to light because how could a savior allow such horrible things to happen in his church? So he was happy to consider himself an atheist. Jay says, not wanting to make things awkward, I would smile and half jokingly say, that's an interesting perspective, Phil. I could try and answer it, but maybe you should talk to Jesus yourself about it. A few years later, Jay was appointed Dean of Admissions, and Phil said one of the reasons he appointed him was because of his wisdom that comes from his faith. And that opened the door for Jay and Phil to have more conversations about what Phil thought about Jesus and God. Then in 2011, he says they both left the college for different reasons and went on to different jobs, and Phil retired in 2016 and moved to Orlando, Florida where they lost touch for a little while. But then in 2018, when Jay and his family went down to Disney, he called up Phil and asked if they could meet for dinner. They met in a little pub called Drafts, and even before they sat down, Phil told him that he and his wife were separated, getting a divorce. Jay says, I couldn't believe it and didn't have much direction. He was working part-time at Disney, living in a pool house of the home he had purchased with his wife while she lived in the actual house. But he said to Jay that he often recalled their chats about religion from years ago. And Jay shared about a relationship with Jesus and what it looked like and that he would have to walk with Jesus. 
but Phil wasn't sold on it at this point. But Jay felt like he was on the precipice of something happening. So when he got back home, he prayed about it and he thought, what can I do? And he saw this little book on his shelf that was written by the former pastor of this church, Pastor Robert Crosby, called Religion Versus Relationship. And he thought he would send that book. He then came, he said, Jay says, and he asked me, you know, what, what I thought I should, what I thought he should do with his friend. And, and I didn't know that he was already considering this book. Apparently, I don't remember this day. I went to my bookshelf and pulled the very same book off and said, why don't you, you know, give him this? And so he thought, well, now I, now I have to send it. So he sent the, mailed the book to Phil, wrote in the front cover, the importance of understanding and accepting Christ as Savior and King. I told him to read the booklet and let me know what he thought. He remained on my heart and my prayer was that he would give Christ a chance and that God would give him a new perspective. This past week, and Jay was writing this about a week ago, this past week, Jay writes, my family and I returned to Orlando to take our first vacation after a year and a half of not traveling. I called Phil to tell him I was in town and asked if we could have dinner. We met at the same pub we did two years prior. And as we sat down, he pointed to the table by the window. And he said, Jay, do you remember that conversation we had at this bar a few years ago? We sat over there. He said it made an impact. That conversation was a turning point for me. I read the book you sent me after that many times. Finally, the other day, it led me to put on an old Catholic hymn I remember from many, many years ago called On Eagle's Wings. When the song was over, I told Jesus I was ready. Jay, I've been saved. Jay uh, Jay writes, as tears rolled down my face, I sat back and listened to him tell me that immediately after he received the book from me, he met two more Christians who also took the time to speak into his life. He knew it was from God because our messages were all consistent. He needed to spend time with Christ. At the end of the night, we hugged, promised to stay in better touch. He was planning on visiting churches next Sunday. He also told me that at the age of 70, he had enrolled back at school for an online degree in counseling and he'd like to become a Christian counselor. Phil is 70 years old. His story is just starting. So thankful that the Lord allowed me to be part of the prologue. 2002, he started the job. Just a couple weeks ago, 2021, He finds out he comes to Jesus. Who are you picking up the mat for? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing Jesus to them? Who are you just got to get before Jesus? Mom, dad, maybe it's your kid and you just got to get Jesus before them. And you got to get them before Jesus more and more so he can have an impact on their life. Maybe it's your friend at work that you've known them for years and you just got to keep continuing showing Jesus' love to them, being patient, looking for those opportunities and those conversations. Who are you picking up the mat for to bring to Jesus? As the team sings this song, I'm going to come back after they're done and we'll have communion together. Let the Lord speak to you. Father, show us if it's us that need to come to you and say, make me clean, make it clear. If there's others in our lives that we're supposed to bring to you, then make that clear.
bring their names to our lives. Help us to understand because you are able to forgive sins and make them whole and make them clean. In Jesus' name, would you stand and let's sing this song together and allow the Lord to minister to your heart.